Hello, and welcome to this podcast of Sunday Sermons from Concord United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll find this message to be meaningful, insightful, and a refreshing part of your daily walk with God. Please feel free to share this podcast with family, friends, or anyone else who might benefit from it. This podcast is part of the digital ministries of Concord United, and we are grateful that you have chosen to experience worship and God's Word with us. For more information about Concord United and its ministries, please visit our website at concordunited.org. Today, as we share how Jesus came on that last week, and he rode in on a donkey and was proclaimed as king, and then he came to the Last Supper and celebrated it with his disciples. Ultimately, he went to Golgotha where he prayed, knowing the sacrifice that was ahead of him. He was so disturbed in spirit that it says his sweat became like drops of blood. And there he was arrested. Uh, ultimately, he was crucified. He had every opportunity to compromise his values. He had every opportunity to save his own life. And he chose not to, but he chose to, to sacrifice for us. And we're wrestling with what did that accomplish this week? And this is one of the most transformative weeks of the year for us. So I want to encourage you to prepare as we go throughout this week, just as the disciples prepared. Today, we're going to read the scripture where he says, prepare for that last supper. Uh, friends, we need to prepare for this, this week. And if we do, I think we'll have a very different Easter and not just a wonderful, fun Easter, but a transformative Easter. So I want to encourage you, if, if you do not already there is no week like this one to begin reading the Bible every day. And maybe you're like, I'm not sure I'm ready for that big commitment. Tell you what, why don't you commit for six days? Why not beginning tomorrow, you just decide I'm going to read the Bible, you know, through up till next Sunday. And we have a Bible reading plan you can find at concordunited.org slash Bible. Just begin there and say, God, I'm going to give you six days and see what you do with it. Uh, I think you'll find it's some of the best time you could, could ever spend so that we can get more into this story about what happens and really understand what happened at that table where he had the Last Supper on, on that cross when the, the tomb was found empty. And as I was reflecting on Jesus in the Last Supper this week, it, it reminds me, do, do any of you all uh, get funny when you don't know where your next meal's coming from? I, I, get really, I, I get really nervous if I don't know when and where I'm going to eat next, right? And so I have this habit, this thing I do, like I've never actually struggled with food insecurity in my whole life, like ne never once. But it's like, if I'm not sure how it's going to happen that I'm going to be fed, it's like I have this, this fear that, that just comes in and you see how it plays out. One time I went on a mission trip with a church and we went to El Salvador and all day long, we were, or at least my group, we were mixing concrete and pouring footers for the foundation of a church we were building. And there was another group that was playing with kids. Uh, and, and the group that was playing with kids was trying to communicate and teach Bible stories. Uh, and some of, some of whom couldn't speak the Spanish, couldn't speak the language, which was Spanish there. And so they were like, man, it must be easy for you all. You all are just building. And we're like sitting there stirring concrete with shovels. And we're like, yeah, it's easy. No problem. But all day long in 90 degree heat, I stirred concrete and I gained five pounds. You know why I gained five pounds? Because they don't keep time down there the same way we keep it up here, right? When they say we're going to eat around noon, it could be 2.30. You don't, you don't know. And that's their culture. 
but it meant for me that I got a little nervous. So in the mornings, I'd be like, you know, I probably should have that fifth breakfast burrito. I, I should probably just have it because, you, you, you know, you, you, just, you just don't know. And there's a security that comes in knowing you're going to be fed, right? And a security that comes in knowing you're, when and where you're going to be fed. And what we want for each of you this week is to find in the story of Jesus that you can live with that security, not just for your stomach, but for your soul. That whatever you encounter in life, there's going to be enough for you. There's going to be enough wisdom. There's going to be enough power. There's going to be enough strength to get through it because of who Jesus is and how he wants to be a part of your life. And that's what I hope we can discover together today. And so we can find ourselves journeying this week. And on Thursday, if you come here, we'll actually celebrate the Last Supper and have communion. You can find yourself invited to Jesus's family dinner table. Because that family dinner table, in our families, for us, it's often kind of an anchor. Uh, Every parent wants for their kids, right? Every parent wants that when their kids go out into the world and they face challenges, they want them to have an anchor, a foundation in the family. That, yes, there are challenges, there are tough things we all have to face, but we go out with values and we go out with relationships supporting us so that uh, we don't get in a situation where we throw everything away so that we make mistakes, but we know who we are and we know whose we are and we know what we stand for and we we know people have us. We don't have to operate out of insecurity. That's what every parent wants for their child. And there's no place where that happens more than at the family dinner table. Well, that's how we want to operate with Jesus in our life, that we know our values and we know he's got us and we don't have to uh, stray from that just to try to, to take care of ourselves uh, because we're, we're scared of what life throw, throws at us. And it reminds me how important it is that we know uh, that that table's open for us. Uh, you know, uh, one of the favorite, my favorite things about growing up was that I always knew I could invite any friend I wanted to to, the dinner, to my family dinner table, and my mom would make sure there was enough food for them. And not all my friends had a situation like that in, in their houses. Uh, some of them, their families never sat down for dinner together. They were just supposed to go home, find whatever they wanted out of the pantry and eat it. Some of them, when they became teenagers, they were supposed to work and they were supposed to pay for a lot of their own food. And some of them, there just wasn't much food in the house. And they were supposed to find out where they could go or how, how they could, could get food. They, they weren't expected, that they couldn't just expect that it would be there for them. So my mom was wise to this and, and she told me, she said, now your friends are all, you bring as many as you want. And I remember all those meals sitting around with four or five teenage guys and, and she's sitting there and she's just beaming, you know, like, like, you know, uh, like she's the most highly honored woman in the world because she's got these teenage boys sitting around the dinner table. And she would always say to them, there's one rule that gets you invited back, right? Everybody is invited once. And if you want to be invited back, there's only one rule. It was never written down, but it was verbally articulated at every meal. And that rule was that you compliment the meal and the chef, no matter whether you liked it or not. As long as you did that, you got invited back. And some days she'd cook kind of fancy stuff for us. And some days she'd cook like frozen chicken patties and French fries. And one of the great parts of those dinners was after about five minutes, you'd hear somebody would start and he'd be like, Mrs. Cantrell, 
I just have to tell you, this is the greatest frozen chicken patty I've ever had. I mean, the seasoning is exquisite. It's not overdone or underdone. No chef in the finest cafe in the whole of France could cook a chicken patty like you have cooked a chicken patty. And, you, and she would just go to cloud nine, and then the next guy would, would start in on it, right? They knew how to be invited. They, they knew how to accept the invitation they'd been given. Well, that's so important for us because it's the family dinner table that determines who's in and who's out, right? The fam- who's invited? Is it a table that invites everybody? Is it a table that keeps somebody away? And a lot of what we see this week as Jesus enters Jerusalem is that he's defining who's invited. He's, and he's redefining in a lot of ways Who's invited? Who, who gets cared about? Who has a place at the table? Who has a place in the family? So I want to read to you a little bit about this great week. And we're going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke. Luke's telling of this story today. We're going to begin with the 19th chapter. We're going to pick up with the 29th verse. And this is when Jesus entered Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter there, you will, uh, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as had been told them. As they were untying the coat, the, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. All right. So what's happening here is he enters the city, he's riding a colt, and everybody starts singing and dancing and praising. And it just kind of feels odd. It it almost seems to us when we read it uh, from the perspective of 21st century America, like it's like a flash mob, right? Like everybody just shows up and starts going crazy, and then they just all disperse. And there's really no rhyme or reason. Rather, just a few people thought, hey, this would be really cool if we did this. That's not at all what's going on here. What's, what's going on here is very symb- would be very symbolic if you were a first century Jew. Because the Jews had a different tradition with their kings than the Romans. The Roman emperors, they would come into town on stallions in a, in a chariot. Not, not the Jewish kings. When a Jewish king was coming to be coronated, he would come on a colt or a donkey riding humbly. Because the king was seen as a servant, a servant of God. And so when Jesus comes in on a cult, the imagery is very clear to everyone. This is the king. This is the Messiah. And many of them start praising and start worshiping him. And what we find as he goes, and through the week, he goes to the temple and he teaches. And as the week unfolds and we get to the Last Supper and to the crucifixion, what they find is their king is a very different type of king than what they thought. 
He tells them during the week as they're learning these things to prepare for the Passover meal. And I want to share a little bit of that with you because I think it teaches us a lot of how we can prepare for this week in our lives. This is going a few chapters forward to Luke 22, picking up with verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover meal for us that we may eat it. They asked him, where do you want us to make the preparations for it? Listen, he said to them, when you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs already furnished. Make preparations for us there. So they went and found everything as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. When the hour came, he took his place at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Okay, so that's what, he, what he's saying to them. We need to understand what's, what's going on here. There, there are several things that are happening. The first is that this isn't just any old Passover meal. This is really a banquet for the coronation of a king. Again, not the king they expected. They expected a king who would lead them militarily, who would re help them regain their sovereignty and throw off the Roman oppressors. That's not who, who they're getting in Jesus. But this, this is his coronation because he's the only one that can help with the deepest problem facing humanity. And the deepest problem facing humanity then and facing humanity now is that we, we often decide as humanity that we have to get what we need, we have to take it from someone else. Uh, we have to kill or be killed. Uh, we, we have to uh, push somebody down so we can be lifted up. And that's the world he lived in. The Jewish people were being pushed down so the Roman Empire could be lifted up. Within Judaism, the unclean Gentiles were being pushed down so that the Jewish people could, could be lifted up. In a lot of the way that world functions, women were being pushed down so that men could, could be lifted up. And Jesus comes to bring about a very different kingdom than that kind of kingdom. And if, if you think about what Jesus comes to do, there's a simple analogy that works. And so I'm going to ask you a question. And I want to share with you that, that to answer this question correctly, you don't have to be spiritual. You don't have to be a church person. All you have to do is uh, be slightly competitive and have a little bit of a business mind. And some of you right now, you're like, finally, this is me. Like right now you have that look on your face like I do when I'm watching Jeopardy and the category is Bible or sports. Because whenever that happens, I'm like, ooh, ooh, ooh. And then they're like, 18th century British literature. And I'm like, not me. Not me. But okay, so all you need is to be slightly competitive, and you might get the answer to this question. In a dog-eat-dog -dog world, who's the most powerful person and the only person that can bring peace? Who's the most powerful person and the only person that can bring peace in a dog-eat-dog -dog world? It's the person who figures out how to mass produce dog food, right? Because that's the only way you stop the wars in a dog-eat-dog -dog world. It's the only way you start, stop cannibalism. That's the only way you bring peace is if you mass produce dog food. Purina is the highest power in a dog-eat-dog -dog world. 
right? Because people are fighting over it and somebody has to provide all their needs. Friends, that's a crude analogy, but that's exactly what Jesus is for us in our world. He's what we need. He's what we need so that we can stop being enemies with God. We can stop running from God's will for us because we're too scared to accept God's will for us because uh, we, we think it means giving up too much and we need to take care of ourselves and get what we really need first, right? Because God's will talks about serving others and we're just not sure we can make that sacrifice because we have needs that haven't been met yet. Jesus provides what we need so that we can follow God's will. Jesus provides for what we need so we don't have to constantly live our lives and base our identity on being somehow better than others or on taking from others so we can have. That's not, that's, that's no, that's no way to live. And Jesus, Jesus as king provides a very different kingdom in a, in a very different way. And in this kingdom, as he comes to the last supper, what we find is that not only is the last supper a coronation, the last supper is also a family dinner table. It's that foundation it's that foundation where you really learn and you really come to know that there's a place for you and a space for you, that you're valued and that you're secure. You learn that at the family dinner table. We hope you, we learn that at our uh, kitchen tables and our dining room tables here, but, but we certainly learn that at the table that we're going to come and celebrate on Thursday at the, the communion table. It's a family dinner table. I remember when I was a young adult and I was away in school or doing internships away from my family. I can remember my favorite thing to come home for wasn't Christmas. Uh, it wasn't some vacation my family was, was going to take. It was Thanksgiving. And I can remember getting up five o'clock on a Thursday morning and getting the car and hitting the interstate and knowing that in seven, five, seven hours, something like that, I would be home I'd be sitting at that table and I knew that my aunt would have prepared the cheese biscuits just the way they're supposed to be prepared and I knew all our family traditions would take place. And there, externally, if you'd seen that meal, like there wasn't anything immaculate or strange or amazing about it, but I just knew there was a place for me there. And my place in the world was up in the air and I didn't quite know exactly where my career was going to go and I didn't quite know exactly how my life would go. And I, you know, I, I had, you know, how relationships would work out and all this and all that. But I knew I had a foundation there. I knew I had a place there. And I knew if I could have that meal, it, just being together for those two or three hours and knowing I had a place in that family at that table, it was going to give me strength for the next two or three months, really. That's what Jesus does. That's what happens when we come to communion. That's what happens uh, when we encounter him. He gives us that strength and he tells us that we have that place where we're cherished and that, that we're a part of and that we have something to, to offer. And so if you don't remember anything else this morning, what I hope you remember is that King Jesus invites you to the family dinner table. You're, you're invited. And some of you might think, me? Like, I, I don't have it all together. I'm not a churchy person. I'm, I'm invited. I want to tell you something. The Bible doesn't record many meals that Jesus has. I mean, he, he ate every day, but we don't have a record of it often. Do you know the one meal? Do you know there's actually two meals recorded in Luke 19? 
We, we don't have many meals at all of Jesus recorded, but in one chapter in Luke 19, um, or excuse me, in Luke 19, there's another meal recorded right before Jesus enters Jerusalem on the, uh, the donkey. And then in Luke 22, we get to the Last Supper. But this meal that he has, do you know who he eats with right before he enters Jerusalem, right before they wave the palm branches? He's coming through a town named Jericho. He eats with a man named Zacchaeus, right? You learned about him as a kid. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. What else was he? He was a dirty, rotten, corrupt tax collector. And that's who Jesus has dinner with. Jesus says, hey, you're invited. Hey, you've been going through life thinking you didn't have enough and you had to take from others to get enough for you. You're invited. And if you have any question about whether you're invited to Jesus's family dinner table, I want you to think about some of the people who were there in the first place. Peter was at that family dinner table. He was about to really mess up. Within about 24 hours time, Peter would make one of the worst mistakes of his life and he would publicly deny Christ and act like a complete coward. Peter was invited to dinner. Judas, within four or five hours time, was going to make one of the worst mistakes any human has ever made. Judas was invited to that family dinner table. Matthew had been a tax collector like Zacchaeus, had defrauded a lot of people. Matthew was at that family dinner table. Simon the Zealot was at that family dinner table. Let me tell you what zealots were. Zealots, uh, if you were a Jew, you'd call them freedom fighters. If you were a Roman, you'd call them terrorists because what they did was they used guerrilla warfare uh, to use actions that we would consider terrorist actions to assassinate and try to destabilize the Roman rulers and forces in their area. Simon the terrorist invited to the family dinner table. Those people were all there at the Last Supper. Friends, you're invited to the family dinner table. Wherever you come from, whatever you've done, whatever's been done to you, however you've served God or ignored God in the past, you're invited. And this week, as you walk throughout it, I want to close by sharing with you the words from Luke 22, verses 12 and 13. In verse 12, Jesus says, make preparations for us. And th verse 13, so they went and found everything as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. Just as they prepared that Passover meal, this is our week to prepare our hearts that we might be transformed by the true king. Not the king we thought we were getting, but the king we actually needed. The king who controls the guest list to the family dinner table. And the king who's decided on that cross to extend it to everyone. Everyone. All of us. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, we want to accept your invitation so often we have run from it because we were scared that we didn't deserve it. We were intimidated of what might be asked of us. We wondered what others would say if we received it. Lord, teach us to come to that table, that table where you make the rules, that table where you are king, even now. And that table where we celebrate that one day all will know you are king. All, oh Lord, will hear the invitation. And we pray, oh God, that you would prepare us all 
that we might respond in your name with thanksgiving. We all say together, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.